Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Yes, hi everybody. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you are such a, uh, an inspirational role model for a lot of younger dancers, and I just want to pick your brain a little bit to hopefully help whoever I can help out there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always happy to share, and I'm kind of an open book, as we know, so. <laughs> yes. So, Catherine, we all have a pretty good idea of who you are and your background, but I'd love to hear what you've been up to now lately. We're about, like, what, 17 months in already with this pandemic, and I just want to hear, why don't you kind of just pick us up to pace? Well, basically, I mean, the whole big thing of me leaving Miami due to body shaming issues and all of that, I think I, I think the yep. world knows that story now, but... <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Basically, I have been sort of doing, getting prepared to do my, and, and build my business, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, I started this platform called Catherine Morgan and Friends because I, I wanted to be an inclusive, happy, joyful environment with balance. So I've been doing online master classes, which I'm still doing, doing online private lessons, which I'm still doing. Um, but we're preparing to start, hopefully, once the pandemic calms down a little bit, to start touring, to start doing, you know, workshops elsewhere, um, sort of t traveling band, essentially, you know, performance classes, all that. It's just, for me, it's bringing, the, the, the main sort of tagline is bringing the joy back to ballet, because I feel like a lot of, a lot of people have lost that. You know, you get into ballet because you love it and it makes you happy. And most of the time, over the period of years or by the time you get out of ballet, you hate it because of body shaming, because of perfection, because of, you know, all the bad stuff. Um, and so I'm trying to, with my organization, with my company, try and bring it back to the joyfulness of it and get rid of all the, the awful stuff. Um, personal life just got engaged <laughs> yes congratulations i know gorgeous thank you yeah he did exceedingly well i think i told you a marquee diamond is uh, it to me you don't get more classic than that and it just goes so well with you because you're just such a class a type of person so. thank you it, the, the marquee is his um grandmother's diamond so that's what's so beautiful about marquee i told you i have a marquee diamond too and it was also an heirloom you don't see them nowadays no. like you pretty much unless it's an heirloom you're not seeing a marquee diamond around. right mm -hmm. I, mean, I figured this was coming eventually i didn't know quite yeah. but he had we hadn't talked about rings and so i'm like does he even know what i want and he couldn't have done better so you know Gorgeous. chris and i are trying to figure out life as well and our future and and, and all that stuff but um yeah basically through the pandemic it's just sort of been build this, start building this, yeah. start doing it virtually because we can now and hopefully, which, you know, we have plans to turn it to a lot of in-person things and, and a tour. And I'm, I'm very happy doing things on my own terms now. 
a lot of people are like, are you going to go back to a company? Eh, I mean, I'm happy to guess if anybody will have me guess. I have no desire to, to full-time get back into a single ballet company. That is sort of not, mm. I don't like the environments. There's so many unhappy dancers. It's not just in the one I was in. Like I, talking to so many of my professional friends, ballet companies, like what the heck is wrong? Like there are so many people that are so unhappy. So if I can create an environment where I can still perform and still dance in it, but on my own terms, I don't, I have no desire to go back into a company. So. Absolutely. And a big word that you said I love is accessibility. Yes. You know, not only are you bringing back the joy to ballet, because that's something that I often talk about too. It's like, where was that passion I experienced on a personal level as well, that feeling of burnout. Uh, for me, it was, it was needing to completely leave the dance world, start something completely different, like nutrition, um, until I was able to get back in, but with wearing a different hat. And I think what's so interesting is the problem here is a lot of dancers only see success in dance as being in this idealized company performing. And I think a lot of dancers need to realize that there's a lot of hats that you can wear and still be in the dance world. Yes. For me, especially growing up as a young dancer, my measure of success, which I said before on YouTube, was principal dancer in a big company. Like to me, that was the only measure of success. Not a soloist not a core, but a principal in a big company. Otherwise you didn't make it, which is stupid. Do you know what I mean? There's so many ways oh, yeah. to be successful in dance business, in the ballet world, in the dance business. And nowadays, thankfully, you don't have to be in the company to do that. So for me, this whole process redefined my level of success. And everybody, you know, everybody has their own path. Everybody has their own journey. You know, I think a lot of people have said, well, you know, you did Juliet at 17 and I'm not, I'm 18 and I haven't done a principal. I'm like, yeah, but I fell off the face of the earth at 23. So you don't, <laughs> you don't want my path. So it's just one of those things that I think everybody, you have to do you. And there's so many different ways to be successful and it has nothing to do with the title. Yeah. And you bring up such a good point. I mean, having that overarching like one tunnel vision approach as a young dancer towards getting to that principal level at a company is if you have any bit of type a perfectionism in you and like let's be serious who does it oh, yeah. if you're far in the dance world you are very much gonna land in deep waters of burnout right yeah. and for me another passion of late is is sort of mentoring young dancers and building them up mm. and just the the talk they say to themselves so I'm not good enough da, 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 I'm terrible da, 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 da. I'm like where are you getting this like who is putting who are the teachers putting this into your head how are these teachers teaching these kids nowadays that they think they're all terrible I'm like you're 16 like you don't even know like where are you getting this yeah. so it's also a thing both Chris and I are like that's sort of our passion now is to sort of bring up the next generation I've also found a new passion in teaching adults I love teaching adults so yeah it's it's if you have that mental thing going on you're going to be miserable no matter how much you love ballet so absolutely right it's that perfectionism that just comes in the way of it came in my way came in my way of um you know being a or continuing my performance career until I have to actively take myself out. And for you, what I want to hear about is um, the months leading up to your decision of leaving Miami City Ballet. Talk to us about that. I think a lot of dancers ex are experiencing this more than ever, just coming out of the pandemic. A lot of studios may or may not be going back in person in September. And a lot of dancers are feeling 
really nervous. A lot of dancers also picked up side careers, side passions while being in the pandemic. You know, that was like one of the pros we saw of this. So can you just walk us through maybe the, those months leading up to your decision, how you felt with your decision, and then the months, perhaps the wake of making that decision? Well, just real quickly with the pandemic and dancers realizing, they're starting to realize that they're more than just dancers. I think that was my first big thing too, is that Again, we measure our level of success by how well we're doing in a company and how well we've gotten a job and what roles we're doing. Um, I knew by, I had a pretty good idea by Nutcracker that I was either going to only do one more year or jump ship and look for another company. And things then just got worse because it just started with um, being told, which I don't think I said on YouTube, one of the times I was told my body wasn't good enough was at half hour call before slaughter. And in Slaughter on 10th Avenue, you are half naked on stage. You are nothing. Mm -hmm. And you have to go out and be a stripper. And at half hour call, I was called into the office in the theater and told that I need, I was on warning for Fireburn. I have a good show. So I was just sort of like, what? Turned out that was one of the best shows I did because I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm going to show you. So it turned out to be a really good show. But still, not a good, not a good time. Um, and then just, just progressive, progressive. I started to see that no matter what I did, it wasn't going to be good enough. The body shame and the body comments. So by, by January or February, I knew I was done. Once, once I was yeah. taken out of Firebird and then the whole nine Sinatra songs thing happened, I was like, I'm out. I called Chris and I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. We had talked about our future together anyway. And when do we move in? And when, when do we stop? Because we were long distance for like nine months and we were like both over it. And so he was like, well, if you're going to leave anyway, he was still, he had just retired at that point. So he's like, just come here. So it was sort of a thing of, I felt like a total failure because here I was, I made this big comeback, did this thing. And then not even halfway through the first season, I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. And for a really long time, I, I put the blame on myself. You're not thin enough. You're not good enough. I, by the end, when every role had been taken from me, I'd stopped going to company class because I knew I was done. So I was like, why would I put myself through that? And instead, I was going to the gym and trying to, and got a personal trainer on my own dime to try and get the weight off. And to like sit in the steam room afterwards for like an hour trying to sweat out the extra weight. You know what I mean? I was trying to do everything I can. And, and it, my Hashimoto's just went through the roof, lost all the hair again. So it was this horrible like hamster wheel for a really long time. And it's like I made the decision to leave and the pandemic hit. Um, and so I was, I thought, well, that's great. I can slide under the radar. And I can use the pandemic as my excuse. Well, through the pandemic, because I left, we ended in April and I didn't speak out until October. It was like six months later. And I thought, well, I'll just slide into the radar and pandemic and priorities and da, da, da. And then I realized, but if you do that, you're not helping anybody. I had started to see not just with me, but I had had friends and I had other people starting to see this body shaming thing happen and we're all led to believe that it's different and it's so not different. And I thought, well, you've kind of now developed this platform, this brand that financially, if no company will ever hire you, or hire you again, you're gonna be okay. Cause so many dancers can't speak out because that is their livelihood. And if they can't get a job, they have to start from square, square one. So I thought, well, if I'm not gonna speak out, who is? And I, ha I, pre I recorded the video and probably for two weeks, 
I went back and forth of whether or not to post. Whether it was, I had filmed it like two weeks prior to actually posting it. And then when I posted it, I was that sort of, I use this analogy, the tangled moment. I'm the best daughter ever. What am I doing? And blah, back and forth. And then all of the pe uh, other people started to speak out. And that's when I went, okay, you did the right thing. Because it's not just you. You're not crazy. Because for a while, I thought maybe you're just lazy. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just a whiner. Maybe you're playing the victim. I knew I wasn't sitting around trying and just feeling sorry for myself. I was trying. I stopped going to class because I had nothing to rehearse and why put yourself through the mental torture, but I was trying. So it was sort of a case of, okay, no, but you, you did try. And then so many other people started speaking out, not just from Miami, but so many people. And it was like, okay, you're not crazy. And then it was like, I did the right thing. Yeah. Just to go back a little bit, I, you know, this, what's crazy here of the situation, what's wild is that this idea of, you know, you were trying to be what this company wanted you to be, that was led you right back on that hamster wheel of unsustainable habits. You know, these, these habits that are so glorified in our culture, going to the gym, sweating it out, mm -hmm. um, perhaps restricting your food oh, yeah. intake. These habits that are so glorified in our culture, right? You went back to them. They obviously didn't serve you because they don't serve anyone because they're not sustainable no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. And I see that's what I find wild, right? And, and what's interesting here is that we've experienced this in the past, Catherine, right? And it's so easy for dancers to slip right back into oh, it, totally. to slip right back onto that hamster wheel. A lot of dancers will message me like, you know, I'm, I'm really worried. I'm trying to lessen my restrictive eating. I'm trying to, you know, get to this idea of food freedom that you talk about, Rachel, but I am triggered. This is a journey, right? The point is that this is a journey. You're never off of yeah. it, right? Because of the culture we live in. It's just amplified in dance culture, but, but it's all around us. And I think everybody, you know, there's that, there's that line of, of, yeah, you've got to be, fit to be a dancer but the problem is the line is so extreme that it's just the push and push and push and push and push and that you are as a 30 now I'll be 33 in a week 33 year old woman expect expected to look like I did at 17 when biologically you're not supposed to <laughs> like yeah you know. so it's it's one of those things that because but but in our minds as dancers we have been trained to suck it up suck it up and do it what's your problem you know, um, your foot's broken, it's fine, go on. Because if you don't do it, someone else will. We'll put on your understudy. And so it's, or, it's mentality, yeah. Yeah, that, that mindset of you don't do it, you're not good mm -hmm. enough, you're not strong enough, right? Yep. It's you, it's your problem. Your foot's falling off, you're not strong enough, go on. <laughs> you know, right. so I remember like even with pain, like I had – blisters the size of you know and so what do I do you cut holes in your shoes like okay I gotta get through the show and you know just like that's the dancer mentality is we just do it just do it stop complaining and do it and at a certain point it leads over into your food and your exercise and your body image and I have to look like a 17 year old even though I'm 33 you know and it just doesn't help in the long run right? It doesn't promote, as you said, in the very beginning of this conversation, drives us further away from that joy that we once had. You know, we all started in the, in the studio, whether you were like three in that sequence costume or six, there was some bit of passion there at that point. And over the years, like you said, it was lost or it was taken away, yeah. right? It was taken away by the culture. And um, as an individual dancer, 
dancers need to, um, I, I hate to say dancers need to work on this because at the end of the day, like you, you had said this, um, you were in a position where you could speak mm -hmm. out. I would never want any dancer who feels scared or that they cannot, or perhaps maybe it's not safe for them to speak Agreed. out, to feel guilty about not speaking mm -hmm. out. You know what I mean? So, so I want to thank you for using your platform to, to have taken that plunge for the dance industry. Yeah, because it won't change unless enough of us do it. Because it's not just me. You know, I think everybody's like, oh, you're changing the ballet. I can't change the ballet world by myself. I can't. So it's, it's more of the more of us that speak out who are in a position to, the more we start that change. Um, you know, and it's, it's going to be generational. I think once my generation takes over, it will, it will start to change. I don't think changing any current people of the old guard is going to happen. I think that's just is what it is. And we have to learn how to deal with it. Um, but I think it's when the new blood takes over that things will start to change and it does you know it's funny going back to the the joy thing it popped into my head I remember being somewhere and you know when you're watching like three four five year olds in ballet class and they have their little tummies and somebody <laughs> yeah somebody I can't even remember who it was or where it was but commented on the five-year-old's little tummy well she's gotta get rid of that tummy and I'm like she's five she's a little kid yeah. like the little kids have the tummies and they stand there you know that's just part of being a kid and even in ballet with a five-year-old, it's like that five-year-old needs to get rid of the, I'm just like, we have gone so far astray. Like we, it's just, it's, yeah, it's bad. Could you pinpoint, Catherine, uh, when diet culture integrated itself in your life? This is like a very loaded question, but I am curious, at what age were you when diet culture integrated your life? Oh, you were yeah, 12. I remember it vividly because I was at CPYB for the summer and I remember at, up until that point, I was, you know, I've always had very good ballet proportions in that I have really long arms, really long legs. And at 12 is when I started to get, and I quote, very, very, you know, rounder. You know, I was not that 11 year old, 12 year old who's just all string bean. I started to have a little more meat on my bones. And, you know, my mother all in good out of love was looking at me going, well, if you want to be a ballerina, you got to get rid of your roundness. And so I remember going on a diet that summer. I remember us walking around the park in between classes to try and do 12. And it was something that just continued. Because even when I was not ill and when I was not, you know, I wasn't yet diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I was never the, the twig in the room. I was always that one kid that had a little more flesh. You know, I was not the skin and bones string bean. Um, I, when I was 15, it got to a point where I had starved myself so much that I did turn into a twig. But if you go back and watch, I think it's the Snow Queen video I posted on YouTube. That was the only time in my life that I was that thin. And then that very next year I went to SAB and realized that in order to get through the schedule, I was going to have to like start eating, <laughs> like kind of thing. And then I remember gaining my house and still looking thin, but the only time I was ever twig, skin and bones is when I was, I starved myself for a year at 15. And then I just realized that, okay, I have to start taking care of myself, you know, to get through SAB, get hired at 17, doing a full city ballet schedule at 17. You've got to eat. It's 10 to 10 daily. So it was just sort of the thing that I was always small, but never twiggy. 
um, or really, really stringing kind of natural look that everybody wants. You know, some people are just naturally like that. Um, and for me, it was always, I always had to be very careful. And then I got diagnosed and I started to get ill and that just all flew out the window. But for me, it was 12. And I want dancers listening to think about that. When was it that diet culture you think interjected itself in our lives, whether it's a teacher, that whether it's a comment, whether it comes just from within, from uh, looking in the mirror, you know, thoughts pop up. And it's so sad though, to, to know that this is what younger dancers are dealing with. And one thing that you said that I think also really hits home is this idea that you, with your mother, she only wanted the best for you, right? Sometimes dancers will receive comments from teachers and it's not that these teachers necessarily are being the villains. Right. They, in their defense, they might not understand the end results of restrictive eating quite yet or of dieting and unsustainable behaviors. And they pass a comment not knowing that it could trigger, now with that being said, dance teachers should not be commenting on food intake, on body, um, and thus forth, because we never know how a dancer got to where they are. We have to build our own guard, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And learn how to uh, navigate triggering language in of itself, because we never necessarily know when it can come about along the path of being in our career. Right. And and that's the thing my mom has since obviously like said, wow, I had no idea. But she's like, I was just trying sure. to help you because I wanted you to succeed. And as the ballet culture is, you had to be that size. So I was trying to help you, you know, didn't right. come from a year, da, da, da. But there were, it was the only thing my mother and I ever thought about my entire life is her just from a place of love trying to tell me, you got to get smaller. Um, and I, I remember some ballets, she'd be like, yeah, it'd be better if you, you know, that you, they'd be happier with you if you lost, it was City Ballet, they'd be better, happier with you if you lost pounds, you know that. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a mean thing. It wasn't a herb, you know, because my mother is so not a stage mom. She's like, we can. We can stop this anytime. Go be a heart surgeon or something. But it was it was one of those things that she was just trying to protect me. I think a lot of dancers can probably relate to that. And I think it just drives home this idea more that dancers need to educate themselves about what it means to actually have a quote unquote healthy uh, lifestyle, but also being, care being careful because diet culture is insidious and it can pop up in the craziest of places and I'm sure you experienced that when you got diagnosed with Hashimoto's right because uh, once those inflammatory uh struggles come in it like opens Pandora's box yep. of diet culture and I experienced it the other way too because going to quote-unquote normal doctors who don't deal with Olymp you know, Olympians athletes dancers yes. I was again I think that the biggest I got was still very normal small for an average American or an average person they were like, what do you mean you're fat? They didn't understand, you know, because, and that's, at the time, I was like, well, they just don't understand. Now I'm like, yeah, it was ridiculous. Even the weight I am now, to be perfectly honest, a, ba a, a ballet company, I would probably have to lose. And it's just simply not possible for me. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not possible for most dancers. Weight loss diets do not work long term. They set us up for failure. They are designed to set us up for failure. As humans, we just will fight restriction. We'll fight. If someone tells us A, we'll want B. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's it's biology. Yeah. Um, now, this is what's so wonderful about your platform, though, right? Because you are bringing accessible ballet education to all, right? Regardless of body type, body size, body shape, skin color, etc. Um, talk to us more about that. I, you spoke a little bit about your goals with the company, but I think this is just incredible. Well, it's funny because what what this has done is freed me up personally because there are still days when I put on a leotard to go teach or do a YouTube video and I'm like, Ugh. And then I remember, but hold on, this is what you stand for. Like, this is, this is y who you are. This is you opening up ballet. So it's still a struggle, let's be honest. And it's just not possible. Like, it's not. If I want to even think of having children later, like, it's not, it's not good. So it's one of those things that I've created my own, like, because I can, I don't have to be on a stage nowadays to perform. I just put a video on YouTube. And it's like I've created yep. my own little performance way of, of and representing this idea that ballet should be more accessible and opening it up and trying to inspire other people and hopefully, you know, bringing their love of ballet back. Because the amount of messages I get from people who are in the same boat with the body and the weight and the shaming and my teacher grabbed my back and said I had back spasms. I mean, it's just obscene to me. Um, hopefully what I'm doing is creating that safe, supportive community for people. That's, that's what I hope to do. Um, whether we travel and do a masterclass, whether we travel and do a performance, my goal is to not only incorporate the students in the performance, but have a, a wide variety of professionals in there too. Different skin tones, different body types, different backgrounds, you know. Um, that's the goal, is to make it a, a safe, happy place for ballet and not this elitist... Yeah you know, stereotype, but quite honestly, what it has turned into. I know that every other ballet stereotype actually is kind of true. <laughs> like, it's very true. Yeah. yeah, so we we actually see this same parallel in the nutrition field, believe it or not. Most dietitians are white, smaller bodied, uh, just to bring about more diversity, to raise voices of um, other dietitians that don't necessarily look like this elitist idea quote unquote ideal uh, is important. And I think it's just so parallel with what you're doing for dancers. Um, and you know what, just keep, keep up, keep it up because you're really paving the way um, and you're paving the way for other dancers to join you in doing that. Like you said, it's uh, maybe you, you're not changing the industry on your own. Like who, who would ever be able to do that? But if you're paving the way for other dancers to perhaps use their platforms to speak out, then that's, you know, that's moving the industry in of itself. Yeah. And I think that's something Chris and I are both passionate about. He's also very forward thinking in, in terms of in the classroom too, like this hierarchy of the ballet teacher in the front of the room and the students all have to be the slaves. Like, that's not a thing. It can't be a thing anymore. Yes, you can push them to work hard. Yes, you can push them to be their personal best and to try. But they can also leave smiling. It's not a mutually exclusive thing. They can leave smiling, yet still work hard. You know, and that's I've seen him do it. And so both of us are also trying to, you know, do that. And students, are, I actually like, like that class. I'm like, I had fun. It's like, yeah, your foes do. <laughs> like, yeah. Your foes do. Absolutely. So... Absolutely. So my final question for you, Catherine, is something I ask all the dancers on here. I'm very excited for your answers. How would you define what it means to be the healthy dancer? I think it's being your own personal best, not only, you know, in your 
whatever your body is, whatever your, your dancing is, but also your own mental space. Like if you are quote dancing your best and look your best, but you are miserable, that's not being a healthy dancer. Do you know what I mean? It's taking care of yourself. It's taking pride in your body. It's taking pride in what you do, but also enjoying it at the same time. Because I'm telling you the amount of in shape dancers I see who are so miserable is obscene to me. And I'm like, why are we all, like, why are we all doing this? Like we need to get to a place where mentally we match feeling good as well as physically, because if you are starving yourself and you are going to the gym 18 hours a day and you're literally breaking yourself for this art form, I don't care what you look like. That is not healthy. Do you know what I mean? It's being your personal best, whatever that looks like, whatever, you know, your personal body is and just feeling good about yourself, no matter what anybody thinks of you and you enjoying your art. Yeah. And just to bring in something that you said earlier, that was so important, having a multifaceted approach, you know, wearing multiple hats as a dancer, a metaphor that I once recently heard that I think fits really well for this is coming to the stage with a different dance that is not centered around obsessive uh, behaviors around body image, weight and food, right? Because when, if we continue on with this ideal of whether it means, you know, what you're, how a dancer is eating or what a dancer should look like, we're all miserable in this dance, right? Let's bring a new dance to the stage so we can actually, like you said, bring back the joy of this passion that we once had at some point when we started it. Yeah, because I remember when I first started dancing, it was because my parents put me in ballet because anytime music would come on, I'd dance around the house. and whatever. I didn't care what I looked like. <laughs> I didn't care, exactly. you know. And it's just one of those things that, you know, yeah, you've got to be in class and work, but it's also like you can still have that mentality in trying to further yourself in the art form. You don't have to be miserable about it. Absolutely. Catherine, thank you so much. I honestly feel like I could talk to you Me forever. Too. I'm sure you get a lot, but thank you so much for joining us. This was just wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This was great.